We know as a church that one of the unique things about uh, this place is that most of you have moved to Prescott in the last 10 years. Because of this, you, you probably chose to move into this area. So I wonder for you, as, a, as you begin this morning, a question, how do you introduce people to where you live? When people discover that you live in this area or they come to visit or maybe you reconnect, what do you tell them about this place? Do you tell them about the geography, what it looks like? Do you describe the seasons, what it feels like? Do you mention the activities that you take part in? Do you mention the people here or the pace of life? I wonder how it is that you describe this place to people. Over the last few years, we've seen some transition in our staff, and so because of that, I've had to introduce us to a lot of new candidates. I talk about this area, and I mentioned all of those things. But also, I mentioned to some people that the people in Prescott, they love their animals. This is a dog and cat place. Uh, you guys love your animals more than you love your flesh and blood. I think some of you would do more for your animals than you would your own flesh and blood. And I, I say you people because I didn't grow up with pets. My mom was allergic to anything that had fur or feathers. We weren't really reptile people. I guess we could have gotten fish, but that never, never came across uh, our path. And so at a young age, I was probably eight or ten, I got a turtle. My brother got a turtle. Um, and so we loved our little tortoises. But, but they, they faced gruesome endings. We came home from Costco one weekend, and we found my turtle named MJ, after the greatest basketball player that ever lived. We found MJ on his back, fried in the sun. He flipped himself over on our back porch and, and died while we were at Costco. And just a few short weeks later, my brother, he found his tortoise in our soccer net. He'd gotten twisted, and he was just hanging there in the wind. And I decided that God was sending us a very clear message. I'm not supposed to have pets. That was the takeaway I had at a young age. And so since then, I've not really had pets. But I've been in some of your homes, and I've been the places that you shop. And one of my favorite, or just it makes me laugh, artworks that I've seen is be the kind of person your dog thinks you are. <laughs> you know, some of you, you know, you have some flaws. You have some challenges. Your friends and your family know what those are, but your dog doesn't. Your dog looks at you and loves you and thinks you're perfect. And so I, I think this sentiment is, is kind of cute and interesting. And, and it inspired me to think about something as we're preparing for this message and in this series. It's a question that I think is far more significant and life-changing than this statement. And it's our big question this morning if you're taking notes. What if you lived out who God says you are. Even more life-changing than be the kind of person your dog thinks you are, I think it would be radically life-changing if you began to answer this question with your life every day. Because this is not a, like, yes or no question. This is an imagine question. This is a question for you to consider as we walk through this message today to consider what might it mean. We're in a series this fall called A Living Hope in a Hostile World. And we've heard from so many of you over the last week about the hostility and the challenges that you're living in. Some of that is the, the challenges of being a follower of Jesus in a culture like ours. Some of that is, is the challenges in your family, in your own personal life. 
It may be your own mental or emotional health, and so you relate to what we're talking about. And last week, as we started this series, we started with a, a statement that before you learn or do anything new, pause and remember what is true. And we started out talking about who we are in Christ, why we have hope for the future, and what God promises to us as we go through this hostility and suffering. And today we're going to build on that as we finish up 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to open it up or turn it on and head towards the back of your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to the Bible, go to the very last book in the Bible, Revelation, and then head towards the front and you'll stumble into 1 and 2 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter this fall. And for those of you who missed out last week, we do have some extra scripture notebooks that are available in the connections table in the lobby today. They have a copy of the little guide on the back that lets you know what we're covering each week. And there's a link there to lots of resources on our website that can help you as we go throughout the series. So, all that being said, if you found your way to 1 Peter, I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word this morning. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible today. Peter writes, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from an empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that, you, so that your faith and hope are in God. So since you've purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring work of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Jesus, we pray this morning that we would live out who you say we are. In the places where that's hard to believe, we pray that you would help our unbelief. And in the places where the voices of others are louder than yours, we pray that our hearts and our minds, our ears would be open to your voice today. And we pray that you would speak through your living word to us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So as I mentioned, today what we're going to do is we're going to dig into this question, what if you lived out, what if I lived out who God says we are? That's where we started last week with remembering who God says we are. That's where 1 
That's where First Peter starts. Peter writes this letter beginning with reminding them who they are. And so I think there are four things that we would do. At least four things. This is not an exhaustive list because I don't have all day. But these are at least four things that we would do if we lived out who God says we are. And the first one is this. We would put our hope in Christ alone rather than hoping in ourselves or false saviors. If you lived out who God says you are, you would put your hope in Christ alone rather than hoping in yourself or any other false saviors. This section in 1 Peter 1, 13-25 begins with the word, therefore. Now, whenever you read the word, therefore, you got to remember the writer is pointing you back to something else. We're kind of taking this book chunk by chunk, but those who were the original recipients, they read it or heard it read as one long letter. So they would have just finished the section we covered last week, and then Peter says, therefore, he kind of links them back to that section about who they are, about why they have hope, and about what God's promising to do for them. And he says, therefore, with your minds ready for action. Well, what's the action? You know, like a director starting to film a scene in the movie. Action. What's going to happen? Hard times. That was where we ended last week. We're going to go through suffering. If you expect life as a follower of Jesus to be easy, you need new expectations. So often when I'm working with people who are navigating relational issues, they come down to expectations, unstated expectations, unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations. And friends, have the right expectations. Following Jesus is not going to be easy, so set your mind and get ready for that kind of action. Be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter is saying is put all of your weight and all of your hope on Jesus. You might say, okay, Scott, that sounds pretty basic. It is, but a lot of us, when we begin to follow Jesus, we end up creating backup plans. And we know this is bad from relationships. My wife and I have been married for 14 years. We got married in the summer of 2008. If when we got married... I continued to have a private Facebook messenger conversation with one of my exes. If I continued to have a weekly date night with my wife and one of my exes, what would my future have looked like? What kind of counsel would you have given me? Well, many of us do the exact same thing with Jesus. We put our hope in him, but we hold on to other options. Jesus, I trust you, but in case you don't deliver, I've got something on the side to bail me out. And while you might laugh when it comes to doing that in marriage, many of us have done that in our relationship with God. And so Peter is saying, hey, beware of backup plans and half-hearted hope and not putting your hope completely in Jesus. Because either he's worthy of all of your hope, or he's worthy of none of your hope. And he says here, put your hope completely in him. And there's a reason for this that we get to later on in 1 Peter 1. He says, God was, has, was foreknown 
before the foundation of the world, God's expression in Jesus was formed before the foundation of the world, but that was revealed in these last times for you. We'll come back to those words. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Lots of people today ask me, Scott, do you think we're living in the last times? Probably. But 2,000 years ago, Peter thought that he was living in the last times. And in every era since then, followers of Jesus thought they were living in the last times because it was not easy to follow Jesus. And so what Peter is saying is, if these are the last times, then put your faith and hope in God because he is worthy of that. And the reason why this is so important is that when you end up in a crisis, and I believe all of us are either in one, coming out of one, or probably headed into one, what crisis will do is crisis will reveal your saviors. Crisis will reveal your functional saviors. When you go through a crisis, you will turn somewhere for help and hope. Now the problem is, for a lot of us, when we look back in the past at our past crisis moments, we go, man, God got me through that. I'm just so grateful how God got me through that. God saved me through that. But if you were honest and you could get in a little time machine and go back in the middle of it, if you were really honest, were you looking fully and completely to God as your Savior? Or did you have other saviors? Did you have other things that you were looking to and depending on? On that hard day, were you fully having your hope in Jesus, or was there some experience, substance, person that you were hoping would save you? See, I think we all tend to kind of sanitize our memory. We remember certain things and we forget other things. And it's absolutely true that God brought you through it. But it's probably also true for me and for you that he wasn't the only Savior we were looking to. And so what I want to remind you as we are in a challenging season and headed into future challenging seasons is that our hope is not in a personality, a political party, or a possibility. Your hope cannot be in some personality or figure who's going to save. If you say that your hope is completely in Jesus. Your hope cannot be in a political party. And if your hope is in a possibility, then you are keeping a side option. No, our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you believed and lived out what God says about you, you would put your hope fully in him because you believe it's worthy. And so maybe as we begin today, this is just a good gut check time to say, hey, let's be honest. Am I fully hoping in him or is my hope more half-hearted and do I have a backup plan? The second thing you would do is you would be holy as God is holy. What would you do if you lived out who God says you are? You would be holy as God is holy. If you have your Bible still open, go back to verse 14. Here, Peter says this, as obedient children. So again, he's pointing back to their identity. He says, don't be conformed to the desires 
of your former ignorance. Don't go back to the person you used to be when now you are a new person. Don't don't fall back into your old habits. Step forward into your new identity with your new habits and see yourself not as you used to be. See yourself as God says you are. Many of us, I've discovered, have a hard time believing the words of Scripture. You read verses about who God says you are, and you go, okay, that's in the Bible, and I guess it's true, but I don't really feel like it's true. Maybe it's because somebody else's voice is louder. Maybe the voice of a parent or a figure in your past. But we need to recognize that who God says we are and who he sees us as is so much greater than we could comprehend. This week, one of our staff members shared a story with me that I want to share with you. In 2015, there was a man who went garage sailing. Any garage sailors in the house? You guys love to go kind of make a good sale? Some of you, you know, flip those things on eBay and make some money. So this guy went to one of these community garage sales, which are awesome because you can kind of just hit them, all the, hit them all in one spot. He went to a garage sale in 2015, a community garage sale, and he bought this piece. And he didn't think it was worth that much in and of itself. But he realized that there was some metal in this piece that he could sell to some scrap metal dealers and make a profit over what he bought. Well, while he was researching this piece, he discovered that he had something on his hands that he didn't realize. This piece was actually a long-lost piece of art created by the Fabergé family, known as the Third Imperial Easter Egg. And in 2015, it was valued at $33 million. Your spouse may be elbowing you to go garage sailing next weekend now. (laughs) But he had no idea what he had on his hands when he bought it, thinking he was just going to sell it to some metal scrappers and break it into individual pieces. Friends, you are like this egg. You have no idea your worth and your value in the eyes of God. And if you lived out who God says you are, you would live differently because your value is so much greater than you can imagine. And that's why Peter says, be holy. Now let's be clear what the word holiness means because you probably have heard it in different contexts. The word here in 1 Peter for holy is the word agios in Greek, and it means sacred, set apart. It includes a meaning about being physically pure, morally blameless, or ceremonially consecrated. The word holiness does mean purity, but it also means purpose. Something is holy, not just so that it's sacred and unlike other things, but it also means that it's purposeful and set apart for something unique and special. Now, when I start talking about holiness today, I I have a sense that some of you have some baggage with that word. Maybe you've heard that word used or even abused. One of my challenges that I've had to wrestle through in my life is often... I throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because I've seen someone's bad example of something, I will just completely ignore it. And that especially happens for me in church. I've spent my whole life 
in church. The Sunday morning I was born, they announced it in my dad's church service before it was over. Like, I was part of church from the day I entered this world. It's great. But it's also a curse. Because I've seen way too much. And friends, often we resist holiness because of bad examples. We read through scripture and we read about this group called the Pharisees who were the holier than thou people, who were arrogant. I thought they were better than others because of their external actions. You go, oh, I'm never going to be a Pharisee. Or you see somebody on the side of the road or heading into a sports game and they're screaming into a bullhorn talking about the unholiness of people and you're like, I'm never going to be that person. Or the people who talk about holiness are, are kind of like monks. They're kind of set apart and isolated, and they're not part of the world. And you go, I'm not really going to care about holiness because I've just seen all these bad examples. I would just encourage you to not ignore something good because you've only experienced bad expressions of it. Your parents did a bad job with something. So it doesn't mean that you don't ever do that because they did it poorly. You watch somebody else abuse power. So does that mean no one should ever have power? You watch somebody take advantage of their position. So should no one ever hold that position? Beware of resisting something just because you've seen bad examples. What we see in 1 Peter is that holiness shows up in four areas. Our actions, our words, our attitudes, and our desires. Holiness should mark all of our lives, the things we do, the things we say, the things we think, and the things we want. It's not an external thing. It is an all-of-life thing. And I want to encourage you, when it comes to holiness, there is a danger we all fall into, that we're all vulnerable to. Often, when we start talking about holiness, our minds go to other people who aren't that holy who maybe were holier than. And we get very judgmental. I give you the words of Scott Sauls here. He says, if reading the Bible causes me to scrutinize others more than I scrutinize myself, I am not reading the Bible correctly. If here we talk about holiness today, someone's coming to your mind who needs this sermon because they're not holy friends you're listening poorly. That's the bad example of holiness. This is not looking out the mirror, out the window, it's looking in the mirror. The problem isn't out there that God wants to deal with, the problem is in here. And in 1 Peter 1.17, this is what Peter says, he says, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers. Last week, if you were here, we saw Peter describe followers of Jesus as exiles, people who were on the edge, on the outside. Today, he calls you strangers. And friends, what God calls holiness, our world often calls strangeness. So if, if you're unwilling to look strange, if you're unwilling to be a stranger in this world, you are unwilling to step out in the obedience that God is going to call you to. You can't walk in perfect holiness and walk in increasing popularity. 
Now, this doesn't mean that you need to look so strange that no one takes you seriously and wants nothing to do with you. That isn't Jesus. Jesus had tons of people who wanted to be with him because there was something compelling and attractive. We don't need to be repulsive to our world, but often when we walk in the steps God calls us to, we're going to look strange. So have the right expectations. The third thing we would do if we lived out what God says about us, we would love others, especially when they're hard to love. If we lived out who God says we are, we would love others, and I would just add the word especially right there, when they're hard to love. 1 Peter 1.22, Peter says, Since you've purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love each other constantly, all the time. Not just when they're easy to love, not just when you feel like loving, but all the time. And again, what Peter does here is what we discussed last week. He talks about how identity leads to activity. Back to the verse. Since you've purified yourself, this is the identity you now have. This is who you are. Therefore, this is what you do. All throughout 1 Peter, we're going to see this. If you will remember who you are and stand in who you are and live out who you are, then this activity will not feel like something you have to will yourself into. It will be the outflow. One of the words that I'm trying really hard especially as a pastor when I preach, to rid of my vocabulary is the word should. Because the word should often comes out with some unhealthy attachments. Fear. Obligation. Guilt. Shame. All of you have experienced those words at some point in your life, maybe even within church. We don't love other people because we should. We love other people because it's who we are. So in talking about loving others who are hard to love, I'm not saying do it because you should do it. I'm not saying do it because I'm putting the pastoral guilt trip on you for it. I'm saying, hey, if this is who you are, if God says who you are is who you are, then love can become the natural overflow of that. In First John, one of the other close disciples of Jesus speaks to this. He says, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love whom he has not seen. So if you talk about Jesus, I love you, so much my hands are raised on Sunday and you're singing to yourself in your karaoke carpool on Monday morning and you talk about how much God loves you and you've got the art up in your house, you know, in your kitchen and you're listening to your music on Tuesday and you're reading scripture on Thursday and then when there's somebody who's hard to love, that love doesn't come out my question is, is the idea of God's loving you and you loving him really just a head idea? Or is it really sunken into your heart? The things that you are just naturally bubble out of you because they're who you are. 
if you're having to should, it's a chance to step back and say, am I really living out who God says I am? Or am I living out what I think I should be doing? What the expectations and the obligations are. Finally, number four, if you lived out who God says you are, you would stay humble by rooting yourself in the gospel and in scripture. You'd stay humble. Yes, all of these blanks had H's. Hopefully you figured that out by now. Some of you are guessing. You'd stay humble by rooting yourself in the gospel and in scripture. At the end of chapter one, what Peter does is he, he draws on the image of planting. He says that the gospel and what God did through Jesus on the cross and in the empty tomb is like a, a seed that has been planted in your life that is going to bear fruit and it is going to come and produce life from it. I told you last week that in 1 Peter, what Peter does is he quotes from the Old Testament 25 times. And one of those times is right here at the end of chapter 1. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, verse 6, Isaiah writes, A voice was, crying, was saying, cry out. And another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on them. Indeed, indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Why should you be humble? Because you're going to die. Why should you be humble? Because this body that you're working so hard to take care of, no matter how many supplements you take, how many doctors you see, how well your diet is, how often you work out, it is going to break down. You are eventually going to wither and either be dust or buried in the ground to become dust. Welcome to happy Sunday morning at Cornerstone. <laughs> But this is why the idea of arrogant and Christian cannot go together. I mean, they do. You meet people who claim to be Christians who are profoundly arrogant. But they have forgotten what they need to remember. Friends, perishable seeds create perishable fruits. If a seed can die, then its fruit can die. And that's the reason why grass and eventually dies and is blown away. So, so beware of hoping in yourself and in the flesh. This is why we don't put our hope in political candidates of whatever party. This is the reason why we don't put our hopes in parties or possibilities because all of them are like grass. They will wither. They will fade. But the gospel will never wither. That's where our hope is. I've got some friends that work in the fitness industry, and they repeat these cliches all the time. They say things like, Scott, you are what you eat. You can't out-train a bad diet. Scott, abs are made in the kitchen, not the gym. And all of these are cheesy, and they're cliches, but they're all true. You can go and kill yourself working out for hours a day, but it doesn't make as big of a difference as locking down your diet. And so, friends, mind your diet. 
You're like, Scott, I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to grow in Jesus. Then you cannot make your diet 30 minutes with me every Sunday morning, and that's it. And then spend six to eight hours a day on your phone and three hours watching your favorite pundit at night tell you the news. That diet will not lead you to grow up into a well-rounded follower of Jesus. You have to hear, read, study, and friends, follow the scriptures. It's not enough to know the Bible. People tell me, oh, that person, they're just, they're so godly. They know so much scripture. I'm like, I don't care how much they know. How much do they follow? Not how much have you heard, how much do you do? And so what Peter is saying over and over again, he says, our hope for the future determines how we live today. Where your hope really is, the full weight of it, will determine how you live today. So do you see yourself as God does? Do you see yourself and believe that you are who God says you are? And if you do, what would it look like if you live that out in your life in real and practical ways? I'm going to give you a couple of next steps this morning for you to consider. First is this week, I want to encourage you to name your false saviors. When crisis comes, what are the things, the people, and the places you go for saving? I put a little star down here. Get help if necessary. If somebody ever asks you what's in your blind spot, you need to say, I don't know. That's what you call a blind spot. You can't see it without help. So you may need help from somebody who's close to you to say, hey, where do you see me turning or looking for hope? Where is my hope? I'm kind of straddling. I heard someone say this week that what cannot be named cannot be tamed. And until you name that and identify it, you'll never be free from it. Number two, determine what holiness looks like by taking the holiness quiz. Now, I invented this. There's no grades. But to help you think about what does holiness look like in your actions, words, attitudes, and desires, I brought you three questions from Pastor Larry Osborne. I'll give him the credit for this. Number one, how will this impact eternity? Maybe you go, Scott, my eternity is secure. Well, how is what you're doing in this moment going to affect someone else's eternity? Yes, we're promised that our salvation is secure, but we're also told in Scripture that we are rewarded based upon what we do. So how is this decision going to impact eternity? Number two, how will this impact God's reputation? Does God need you to run PR for him? No. But when you walk in the opposite of holiness and claim to follow Christ, does it make it harder for people to follow Christ? Absolutely. There's a generation coming of age right now that cannot go a week without watching somebody like me stumble and fall with sexual, financial, or power abuse. That makes it hard for them to connect with church and God if all they see are bad examples. So how will what you're doing impact God's reputation? And then number three, what has God already said about this situation? Some of us are like my children. My kids come to me and say, hey, Dad, can we? And then they ask me a question. And my first question I've learned, 
the hard way is, what did your mom say? Some of us are like that with God. We open these 66 books. We find something very clear of what God said. And then we close it and go, God, would you let me know what I need to do in this circumstance? It's already clear right there. And if you're praying rather than obeying, you're just like my kids. So when it comes to holiness, what's God already said? And then finally, ask yourself each day this week, what if I lived out who God says I am today? And begin your day with that question. It's one thing to say, yeah, 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 I believe it. But it's something else to go, hey, I'm going to live it. And that's why this series is called A Living Hope. Because we're going to live this hope out. We're not just going to believe it, talk about it on Sunday, but we're going to seek to live it out every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it never fades, it never withers, and it never fails. On a daily basis, we're facing our own withering. On a daily basis, we're having to realize our own failures. And many of us are realizing that many of the things we put our hope in are faded. And so we pray that today we would root ourselves each day in who you say we are. We pray that your voice would be the loudest voice in our lives. We pray that we would put our full weight and trust in the truth of who you say we are. And we pray that that would impact all of our lives, our words, our actions, our attitudes, and our desires. We pray that we would not only hear it, but we would live it, who it is that you say we are. Pure, holy, righteous, set apart, here on this earth still for a reason. We pray all these things in your heavenly name. Amen. We're going to close today with a song.